Don't you wish you were a child again? No worries, just go out and play. But we rejoice with the 25th anniversary of Sunshine Corner. And uh, when they asked me to speak this morning, a few, well, probably a month or two ago, I prepared a message, but uh, then of this last week they came and said, you know, we're celebrating 25 years. Now can you speak to the family or to kids? And so now I've got to change my message. That means that I'll get back again. I, <laughs> I can't let a message go to waste. <laughs> Actually, when I thought about it, what they did, you know, they were the little kids. So they had to find somebody in middle age to speak this morning. And uh, so let's think that way. And uh, I've been struggling all week because I really should thank you for your honor last Sunday. You'll never know this side of heaven what it really meant. And so in simple terms, many, many thanks. And so this morning, I would like to turn to a portion of Scripture in the life of Job. Now, you know, you can't hardly follow along, and maybe you can in the Pew Bible, but I grew up in the King James, and it's awfully hard to teach an old man a new trick. So I'm going to still read him from the new trick. But if you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow along, Will you turn to the book of Job, the book of Job, and chapter 29? But before we read, I wonder if we couldn't just bow for a word of prayer and thank the Lord for Sunshine Corner, 25 years. Uh, what, a, what a milestone. And then let's pray for Dr. Meyer. He'll be coming to us in a couple of weeks. I've known Kevin for many, many years. I I knew his parents, Dr. Ken Meyer. He was president of our school in Trinity in Chicago. And so I've known the family for years. And now as they come, let's come with an open heart, praying that the Lord will lead him and lead us to our future. But just for a moment, let's just bow for prayer. Father, will you bless these dear people who have been so gracious and kind through the years, we have laughed together and we have wept together. At times, we have walked through the valley. Other times, we have climbed mountains, and you've always been there to meet our every need. And today, we're asking, dear Father, will you continue to bless this great church? Be with our elders. Give them wisdom as they deal with so many issues. Bless every family, every boy, every girl. And as we worship and work together, we pray that your name will be honored. And this morning, we ask your blessing on Cheryl and every teacher and every volunteer down there in Sunshine Corner. And each day as they come to work and they minister with each boy and girl, preparing these little children for the days ahead. And so, Father, this morning, we just pause once again to tell you we love you.
And we ask that as we stand for you today, that you will live through our lives and speak to others' hearts. Hide me behind the cross. Glorify yourself. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Reading from the book of Job, chapter 29. Let me read the first five verses. Job continued his parable, and he said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, when his light walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me. And I like to underline just that one phrase, and maybe we could put a title to what I'd like to say this morning, especially to parents, when the children were about me. Here is Job. Job is sitting on the ash heap. He's covered with boils. He's in pain. He's lonely. And he's sitting there. And all of a sudden, he begins to think of the past. He begins to go back and and think of, of his life, remembers his boyhood days. He was thinking of the day when he fell in love with the most beautiful girl in the country. And she became his wife. His mind goes back to the moment his first child was born and how his heart leaped within him. And sitting there on that he sheep, all alone, reminiscing, he began to weep. And I see him sitting there in loneliness, thinking back of the past. And all of a sudden, the servant comes running. And he says to his master, all of your children have been struck with a tragedy, and they're all dead. Now sitting there, children gone, wealth gone, health is gone. His mother walked, or his wife walks over to him and said, curse God and die. But there in his loneliness, he begins to think of the hours when the children were about him. Now, I have to imagine, because your home is different than my home, but I can just imagine that Job was sitting there thinking of the past, thinking of after the evening meal, while the children were about him, they went in and sat around that old reed organ, and they begin to sing some of the great old hymns, like in the garden, or Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. It was when the children were about him, he was thinking. And as I was thinking of all of this, I thought of the Danks family. It was just a common people. Mr. and Mrs. Danks had two beautiful girls, and they enjoyed life together. Their home was one happy situation. And then in that happiness, Mr. Dank sat down and he wrote a song. He wrote the song, Silver Threads Among the Gold. And that song became so popular that they became very wealthy. And in their wealth, that little home in which they lived no longer was what they wanted But the wife and the girls wanted a bigger home. Then they wanted more clothes. 
And then they wanted to climb higher into society until finally those two beautiful girls left home. His wife divorced him. Mr. Danks rented a little room in a hotel. And one day as they came into his room, he was on his knees by his bed with a note beside him which said, It is hard to grow old alone. When the children were about us, the words of that text comes back ringing and ringing. And folks, do you realize, parents, that it's a privilege to have children about you? When those children are about you, you have the privilege of teaching the child. That child in your home is going to learn. Their hearts and their minds are going to be filled with something. He will learn or she will learn from someone. The question is not, will they learn, but what will they learn? Therefore, if the child in our home is going to learn the things of God, you and I as a parents must be a child of God. Now, there are many people who say, well, yes, I believe that Christ came. I believe that he suffered. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he was buried. I believe he arose from the dead. I believe he ascended into the heavens. Yes, I believe. But friends, have you put your trust in Christ? The devils believe and they tremble. But when you come to put your trust in Jesus Christ and you claim him as your Savior, then things take on a different light. For as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become a child of God. And my dear people this morning, without that vital experience, we are nothing. It's that new birth that changes everything. When you were born of the flesh, you became a part of a human family. I became a part of the Bergman family. You became a part of the Smith family or the Jones family. We became a part of the human family. And when we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and we claim him as our Lord, we confess our sins, we invite him into our life, we then are born again and we become a part of God's family. That is essential. That's basic. And you see, without that experience, without Jesus Christ in our lives, in our homes, our ideals for our boys will be a good education, a good home, get on in the world. Our ideals for the girls will be a good education, be refined and accomplished, be secure with the best husband. Now, I'm not underestimating education. We parents should try and help our youth to secure the best education possible. I'm not underestimating position. Let our children be ambitious so that they will be the best doctors and the best teachers and the best lawyers and the best secretaries. But friends, if this is the ultimate... We have missed the main thing. What is the ultimate? What is the ideal? We should 
somehow or another want our children to be a Christian boy, a Christian girl. When I was pastoring in Kenosha, Wisconsin, into our area, uh, a new medical doctor came with his family. Dr. Wiarda was a wonderful, if I could say, southern gentleman. He was a gentleman of gentlemen, and he loved the Lord immensely. And he began to come to our church, and, and every Sunday, and he with his family, three little boys, and they came in, and they worshipped, and they stayed for Sunday school. Dr. Wiarda made a tremendous impact in our community of Kenosha. And then one day he took terribly sick. He was diagnosed and he had a fast-growing cancer in his stomach. And he went downhill so fast, it just began to eat at his body. And it was on a Sunday morning when he asked his wife, Will you bring the boys in so I can talk with them? In fact, that evening he passed away. And after the morning service and they had a little lunch, Mrs. Wiarda, with her three boys, went down to the hospital. And alone, Doc began to talk to those boys. It was just the boys and Doc. And he began to share the boys his own personal testimony. And he began to challenge them to live for Christ. And then he said these words, and I'll never forget them as long as I live. He turned to those three little boys, and he said, Fellas, I don't care what kind of vocation you choose, but boys, will you always be a Christian gentleman? That's, my friend, basic. Our children have watched us to go to church. They have seen us as we stood in the church and we have sang with others some of the great old hymns of the church. Perhaps they have stood by dad or mom as they have sung blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. But then we go home and through the week those children in our homes See our impatience, our jealousy, our cantankerous disposition. We become so unlovely. You see, our children have had to listen to our, our commands of what they could not do. And yet, as they watch us, we do the same things. We must never forget, my dear people, the fact that our children... We'll talk as we talk. They will walk as we walk. They will act as we act. The Bible declares that we will produce after our kind. And as you see a child, you'll see the parent. Perhaps you read or heard the story of the lawyer who who walked to his office every morning. And as he would walk by the corner saloon, he would stop in. And then he would go on. And one evening, the snow came and covered the, the ground with three or four inches of snow. And, and as he put on his boots to walk to the office that morning, 
He walked about a block from home, and all of a sudden he heard someone behind him. And he turned around, and what did he see but his little son? And his little boy was, was stretching out, trying to, to walk in daddy's tracks. And the father turned and said, son, what are you doing? And he said, I'm walking in daddy's tracks. He sent the boy back home. And that lawyer walked on to his office. But when he came to the corner drugstore, he walked on by. He kept thinking, that little boy, saying, I'm walking in daddy's tracks. When he sat down at his law office and he began to, to write his letters, it seemed like that every sentence he wrote, he kept thinking, I'm walking in daddy's tracks. When he began to, to, to make the, the case uh, and, and to write out how he was going to argue that situation, he kept thinking, I'm stepping in daddy's, daddy's tracks. And he said that went on all morning long until finally in desperation, that lawyer pushed back his chair and he dropped to his knees and he said, oh, God, come into my life and change me. I want my boy to walk in Christian daddy's tracks. Parents, the Bible says that thou be an example in word, in conversation, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, I know you expect me to mend kind of get right down to the heart and kind of meddle a little bit. So can I meddle right now? Can I become very personal? If I could just sit down right beside you and I would say, Mother, will your example fill your daughter's life with happiness? Dads, will your son... Find a way to Christ through your life. Parents, we are the ones that must fortify our children against the future tragedy. We must give our children something, something to hang on to when they face the issues of life as they go out into our world today. If you don't mind, let me give you a very personal thought on this. No one I don't think was ever more excited than I was when our first little baby came. It happened that she was born on Good Friday, two o'clock in the afternoon. And I had a Good Friday service. And I had an Easter morning service. Well, those great people canceled our Good Friday service. They saw my excitement. Years later, they told me, you should have heard you on Easter morning. I was saying everything backwards and upside down. I was so excited. Little Nancy was, a, was it was just a thrill I can never express. And so one night, she was laying in her crib. And I might say this in preference. You know, that little girl had a smell blanket. Do any of you parents know what that means? You know, she had a blanket that she carried around with her. It was dragged all through the house. It was so dirty, and when mother would try to wash it, she would cry, where's my smell blanket? She put that blanket around her hand. 
she would suck her thumb so we couldn't see it. And there she was with her blanket. And when she went to sleep at night, she'd wrap that blanket right around her face, and then she'd go to sleep. And one night, in the middle of the night, she screamed. And I tell you, I hit the floor, and I ran into her little room. And I said, Nancy, what's the matter? And she looked up with tears, and she said, Daddy, I lost my blanket. And there on the floor was her blanket. I reached down and picked it up and gave it to her, and she rolled over and went back to sleep. But as I went back into my bed, I laid there and I said, Oh, God, will you help me to so live that I'll give Nancy something to hang on to when she faces the testings of everyday living? Parents, it's our responsibility to so live and to so teach and to so involve in their minds that they'll have something to hang on to. Do you know, by the way, you don't lose the child when they're 17. You, choose, you lose the child when they're seven. That's the reason the Bible said, and maybe we should turn to it. Would you mind taking your Bible? Would you turn to the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. And will you turn to chapter 22? Chapter 22. And notice what it says. Chapter, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I know today that, that there are many who say, Pastor, you don't understand. That philosophy in life will not work in every case. They tell me that there are children from good homes, Christian homes, preachers' homes, deacons' homes, Homes that are, have wonderful Christian parents, but their children have turned away from Christianity. Now, I know that's true, but friends, maybe, maybe we are misinterpreting the scripture. Will you let me, though I may disagree with a lot of the Bible scholars, but will you let me Interpret that verse of Scripture the way I look at it. It says, first of all, train up a child. Now, stop and understand what that word train means. If you go back to the Hebrew, I understand that that comes from, uh, from the words like palate or the roof of your mouth. Back in the days that this was written, this term was used in a couple of different ways. The one way it was used to break a horse. You put a rope in their mouth, and by putting the rope in their mouth, they could control the disposition of that horse. Today, we've been more sophisticated, and we call it a bit. And we put a bit in the horse's mouth to steer or to make that horse obey. 
But there was another way that that word has been interpreted. And this way, the doctor or the nurse would take that little baby and they put their finger into a crushed grapes or dates. And then they would rub the gums or gums of that little child. They they would rub the roof of the mouth, creating in that child a, a sensation for hunger or for sucking. Now, with that in mind, you and I train up. That is to create in that child in our home a thirst for God. So you train up the child for a thirst for God, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, what I'm going to say may may disturb you, but, but listen very carefully. In the New American Standard Version of the Bible, in the ridge on the margin of that verse, it says something like this. Train up a child according to his way. I turn to the Amplified Bible, which my father used so often. And in the Amplified Bible, that verse is translated like this. Train up the child in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, this verse is referring to the makeup of the child. His unique characteristics, his unique mannerisms, which the Bible calls his way. That's the way he was wired. And isn't it true, parent, that every child is different? We have three girls, and every single one of those girls have a different makeup. That's the way God wired them. Some children are strong-willed. And they're determined, while others are weak and, and easily to, to manage or influence. And some are creative. And some are dreamy. While others are objective and, and pragmatic. You see, we as parents are to study our children. And we're to understand their mannerisms, their characteristics, their bent. And to trade them accordingly. Now, I don't want to put a guilt trip on any of us, but isn't it true that many times we as parents try to train the child in the way that we would like to go? So many times, here's a child, he's interested in mechanics, but his parents want him to be a musician. And he's frustrated. There was a young man in our church that I served. His dad was the captain of a ship. And he was dreaming the day when his boy would grow up and be a captain of the ship. But that boy came to know Christ as Savior, and he longed to be in the ministry. And the boy was frustrated. We should study the child, understand the way he is wired, and then to train him. You you see... What happens is that many times we compare our children with our children. Again, I came from a family of seven children. And, you know, I was the middle one. And the girl just above me, 
She was a student. And she'd bring home her report cards, and there would be A, 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 A. Oh, that's boring. (laughs) And I'd bring my report card home, and Dad would look at it, and there was every letter imaginable. (laughs) There was a choice of letters. But that's the mistake of always comparing. Each child has its bent, his characteristics. And so it says, train up the child. Put a desire in his heart to walk in the things of God. And as he is bent, when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Now, my time is gone, but let me give you three rules. I'm, I'm going to call them rules. I suppose I could call them duties or suggestions, but I'm going to take them from the Word of God. Rule number one. Instruct the child. Deuteronomy 6, verses uh, 6 and 7. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in thine house, and when you walk in the way, and when you lie down, and when you raise up. You see... That teaching the children is a day after day after day after day responsibility. It's not a spasmodic thing. It's a day after day teaching the children. But may I hasten to say, there's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is information brought down into bite size so that the child can understand it. Training is living out the truth. Of that teaching. In other words, in football, you can teach by a textbook. You can teach by some moving pictures on the screen, showing them the plays that really work. You see, but training requires discipline. It requires scrimmage. It requires diet. Teaching is a session of exposing to certain truths and theories. But training is a constant modeling of the life. So as parents, we are to teach our children, and we teach them the love for the Word of God as we read the Word of God. And as we pray together as a family, we train them by our example. Which leads us to rule number two. Rule number two is correcting and discipline. Look at Genesis 18, verse 19, where the Lord says concerning Abraham, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Correction and discipline. By the way, Do you realize, folks, that 76% of youth do not know today that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever puts their trust in him shall not perish but have everlasting life? 
1890, it was said that the average age of the American criminal was 48 years. Today, the average age of the American criminal is 17 or younger. Were conditions better back in 1890? All I can say is, back in those days, America respected the Word of God. This nation was born in the hearts of fearless men and women who longed for freedom. In fact, checking back, if you'll let me just go back to one, you dig up the first primer in grade one, and the first primer, New England primer, published by Tracy and Bliss. It was published in 1816, and it had 100% religious matter. This is the primer of a first grader. The chapter titles were the Lord's Prayer, the Apostle Creed, Shorter Catechism, a dialogue between Christ and youth and the devil. But what about today's primer? There's no reference at all to God or to Christ. The first reader has 70 pages of mythology, fairy tales, other stories, but no reference to God or the Bible. Parents, we need to turn back to the old book and in our homes begin to have a Teach a hunger for the boys and girls for the things of God. Well, there you have it. Rule number one, instruction. Rule number two, correction. Rule number three is example. I don't know what kind of an example you're living. I just have to go back to my own family. And I shouldn't say it in public, I guess. But I have a granddaughter that she loves the latest styles. In fact, she loves, she's just in starting high school, and she loves a little bit too far to the left styles. And uh, her mother went to buy some clothes, and she found a dress that, oh, and uh, she loved it, and she put it on, and it fit her perfectly. And she stood before the mirror, and, and then she went in, and, and her mother said, Well, what are you going to do? He, she said, I don't think I should buy it. I wonder what Grandpa will say. <laughs> well, we have to train our children. We have to be an example. And I say this, and some years ago now, there was a family that loved each other. They had a little girl, and that family was just great, and day after day, enjoying each other. In fact, the father was so enamored by his daughter that he went out one evening and throughout the week when he came home from work, he built her a playhouse. 
And now, day after day, that little girl would go out to her playhouse with her dolls, and she would play in her playhouse. And then suddenly, that girl contacted some kind of a disease, and I don't know what it was. But as the doctor examined her, he, no matter what he did, it didn't help. And she kept getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And finally, he said to the parents, she's just not going to live. And so the parents stood by her bedside and, and the mother would wrap her in blankets and rock her. And, and uh, one day she looked up at her daddy and she said, Dad, will you take me out to the playhouse? And the father made every kind of a excuse that he could think of. And finally, he yielded and he picked her up, wrapping her in a blanket. And he carried her out to the little playhouse and set her in her chair. And then he stood back. And that girl had taken her dolls and they were all lined up. And she took each doll one by one. And she had hold it as a little baby and she would talk to it like it was human. And then she would pray. And she had set it down and picked the next one. And she went down the line. She came to the oldest doll. It was a little rag doll. And she held that little rag doll in her arm. And, and she talked to it and, and visited with it. And, and then she prayed for it. And as she prayed, she, she told the Lord and told her that now she's the oldest one. I'll leave her in charge of my playhouse. And she talked to it as if she was a living child. And then she picked up the last doll, which was her newest. It was a beautiful doll, and she held that little doll in her arms. And she talked to it as she did the others. And then she looked up, and she said, Daddy, will you pray for all of my dolls? Daddy never prayed. Daddy didn't know the Lord Jesus. He stood there and made every kind of an excuse that he could think of. And finally he said, Honey, why do you want Daddy to pray? And then she looked up and she said, Daddy, I want to tell Jesus Daddy prays. That man turned his back so he, the little girl wouldn't see his tears. And then finally when he gained his composure, he turned back. But the little girl had already gone to be with the Lord. That man knelt by that child's chair and asked for forgiveness and asked Christ into his life. Parents, we are to be an example. And mom and dad, as your children heard you pray, have you been an example before them? Sunshine Corner can't do it all. We have to do our part. Will we do it, Father? We bow before you today, and as we've been talking to the people, I'm looking in my own heart. How many times we have failed in our home to show the love of Christ. But, oh God, will you take our lives today? And will you reach down and change the gears within us and help us to be an example? in word and in deed. And while our heads are bowed and just for a moment, parent, if the Holy Spirit spoken to your heart today, 
And right where you're sitting, would you say, Lord, help me. Help my boy or my girl in our home see Christ living in my life. I don't know your life. I don't know your home situation. But would you talk to the Lord about it between you and the Lord? And then help us as individuals and parents to go home today to be different. Just for a moment in a silent prayer. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your faithfulness. You have blessed us in spite of us. And as we walk with you, may your name be lifted high so that our boys and girls in our homes shall see Christ living in us. That's our prayer. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.